Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. So we are continuing a sermon series based on this book, Lies We Believe About God. And each chapter has a different lie that we believe about God. It's written by Paul Young, who's also the author of The Shack and of the book Eve. Um, So we'll get back to that in a second. But let me start with a reading for today, which comes from the book of Genesis. And this often makes us, this particular passage makes us scratch our heads sometimes because of some of the wording here. It says this, it's the creation story, the first one. And it says, then God said, Let us, did you notice that word? Let us make humankind in our image. So right away we have this sense that God is already a part of a community of some sort. Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Now, another important point to lift up here is that God created us in God's image. Sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes we believe we create God in our image. And so we'll point some of that out as we go along. You might have seen, though, in the news recently, as though it's a brand new story, the Episcopal Church has made some news because they are in the midst of putting together some work that makes worship more gender-neutral. And so, as you can imagine, it's taking some heat from some people and some praise from other people. But like I said, this is nothing new. It's nothing new. In 1979, the same church, the Episcopal Church, worked on making its prayer book more gender neutral. So it's working to take out some of the he's and and words like that and replace them with God or parent or wording like that. As a matter of fact, the ELCA uh, years ago put together uh, some ideas for helping congregations. If you don't know, the ELCA is our denomination for putting together some ways that denominations can be, again, more inclusive in their language. I remember when I was in seminary 150 years ago, at my, in my Old Testament class, the professor Rolf Derman always had us start by reading a psalm together. And he made us, as we read that psalm out loud as a class, whenever the word he came up for God, we simply replaced it with God. Now, I can remember how awkward that felt. It felt very chunky and choppy, like like it wasn't written that way. But I also see what his point was to help us to be just basically inclusive of all. Now, our our Bible that we use here at Peace most commonly is what's called the New Revised Standard Version. It's always been a Bible that has wrestled with this. And as a matter of fact, 
They are putting out a brand new edition just released this year called the New Revised Standard Version Updated Edition. <laughs> and they're working to even take that further without changing any of the translations. They're just trying to make it more inclusive. Now, let me be truthful with you. In my own, this is just me as Doug Warburton, not me as Pastor Doug or representing of the church. To me, I don't have a problem with he. I don't have a problem with she. I don't have a problem with parent. But I'm also one, and I acknowledge this, that grew up, fortunately, with two healthy role models as parents sitting in the back, here supporting me as I speak. So I have a father and I have a mother, neither of whom ever showed me any signs of being abusive. And so I am blessed that I've never had abuse in my family, but I know not everyone is so fortunate. I think another important thing as we talk about this uh, this subject of God being uh, more he than she or the lie of God being more he than she is it's important for us from time to time to remind ourselves, and I think most of us are aware of this, but it's good to say it out loud, God is not a dude sitting on a cloud in a throne. I think it's important that we acknowledge that, that God is much more than what our minds can wrap our heads around, Right? Here's an interesting uh, tidbit that I came upon. The word used for God throughout much of the Old Testament, some of you have heard this before, Yahweh, Yahweh. It's the word that kind of represents the name of God without having a name. But Yahweh, when you break it down, the first part of it is the word Yah, obviously. It's feminine. Way, masculine. Feminine tense, masculine tense. So it's a way of saying that the very name of God is both. Created in our image. It's fascinating to think about. Now think about some of the, our, our biblical heroes that have actually had a chance to encounter God and have a conversation. One of the very few is, of course, Moses. And when Moses encounters God, God's given Moses this great this great commandment to go and free his people. And, and Moses' uh, first thing back is to say, well, what do I tell them that you are? And do you remember God's response? Tell them, I am what I am. It's a statement where, where Moses probably at that point is like, well, that helps. <laughs> like, thanks for that. But it's a statement that uses absolutely no pronouns whatsoever. There is no gender involved in that statement. It's God's way of saying, I'm way bigger than you'll ever comprehend, and your mind can't handle what I am. So just tell them, I am what I am. In the book of Deuteronomy, there's this, there's this sentence that says, God makes this statement, and he says, I give birth to you, O Israel. Think of that imagery. Jesus also capitalizes on that type of imagery. At one point, as God's son, Jesus says, I have longed to gather you, Jerusalem, together like a hen gathers her chicks. <laughs> Often, the word that's used for wisdom is, a, is this old word, uh, Sophia. Sophia. 
It kind of sometimes represents the spirit or the wisdom of God, and it might be who is the R. We know that Jesus was, the, the word was present with God from the beginning, and so was this wisdom, Sophia. Of course, Sophia is feminine in its use. So there are all these different ways of explaining who God is, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're much bigger than the categories that sometimes we say of them. And as a matter of fact, Augustine, the great theologian, once said that if you have understood, then what you have understood is not God. Think about that. If you have understood, then what you have understood is not God. It's bigger than you can put your mind around. So in this book, Paul Young tells this great story of the first time his mom decided to read the book, his book, The Shack. How many of you have read The Shack? A lot of you. Okay. About maybe more than half. Um, so yeah, in it, in The Shack, if you, don't, if you haven't read the book, he paints a picture of God Jesus and the Spirit. And God is a black woman named Papa. <laughs> That's how he describes God, a black woman named Papa. And so Paul's mother, when she read the book for the first time, got to that part, stopped reading the book, called Paul's sister and said, Debbie, your brother is a heretic. She couldn't put her mind around this concept. It blew her image and what she understood God to be. And so he describes her as being stuck. And then pretty much the rest of this chapter tells an amazing story of how she got unstuck. And in order to tell you, we have to go back to 1946 when his mom was 18 years old. She was three weeks in to her nurse's training and she got called in to work with a doctor who was working on a mother and the mother's husband was the uh, Episcopal priest in the town. And his poor wife had tried to give birth multiple times. Each time had a horrible ending. And so this time, here she is pregnant again. She's rushed in. It's way too early. The doctor uh, figures out that they're going to have to do a C-section, an emergency C-section. They do that. Here's Paul, uh, Paul's mother, who's 18 years old, three weeks into her training. She's asked to assist the doctor in this emergency C-section. They take the baby. It's one pound. Fits into your hand. One pound baby. The doctor hands it to Paul's mother and says, dispose of this. It's inviolable. So imagine the emotions then going through her at this point, and she decides to, for the time being, ignore the doctor's command, and she wraps it in some warm cloths and sets it on uh, one of the warming trays to keep the body warm. And throughout the rest of that day, she and some other nurses continue to use an eyedropper and try to feed this baby, and it survives the day. And then about one o'clock in the morning, they decide, okay, it's time. We have to let the doctor know. 
And so they wake up the doctor. He comes back to the hospital and proceeds to scream at Paul's mother up and down. Because in 1946, you did exactly what the doctor said. My wife's a nurse. You get away with arguing a little bit today. But back then in 1946, you don't argue with the doctor. You do exactly what the doctor says. So he screamed and yelled at her. And then though for, what, for the rest of that week, these nurses continued to care for this child and it lost some weight, but then it started gaining weight. And after about a week, they decided, well, we gotta let the parents know. And so the doctor told the parents, and he confessed that they just didn't want to give them false hope, but here is your son. <laughs> so they named him Harold, which literally means good news. And the parents were thrilled that all of a sudden they have a son. And the son continued to grow and thrive. And at the time of when she read the book, her son's book, Harold was a pastor, and she didn't tell him for the longest time, didn't even look him up for the longest time because she and the other nurses and the doctor had a code of silence about the whole situation. And then when the doctor died, she decided to reach out to Harold. And as you can imagine, they became good friends, especially once she shared the entire story with him. And so now, now that she's read, we fast forward back to more present time. Now that she's read his book, The Shack, and she's struggling with this, she reaches out to Harold to help her. And Harold reads the book, says, I'll get in touch with you as soon as I'm done. And then Harold says this. As Harold pointed out, do any of us think that God is more masculine, more male, more paternal than feminine, female, or maternal. All of maternity, as all of paternity, originates in the very nature of God. The image of God in us, Imago Dei, is not less feminine than masculine. The feminine-masculine nature of God is a circle of relationship, a spectrum, not a polarity. And imagery, it is all over the scriptures, masculine, father, king, etc. Feminine, nursing, mother, woman, and coin, etc. Animal, mother bear, eagle, lioness, etc. Inanimate objects, rock, fortress, strong tower, mountain, shield, etc. Imagery was never intended to define God. Listen to this. Rather, imagery is a window through which we see aspects and facets of the nature and character of God. Is God more masculine than feminine? Absolutely not. In my story about Harold, who better represents the heart and character of God? The male doctor or the 18-year-old single woman in nurse's training? And finally, here is the wonder of this little story inside of a story. My mother saved a one-pound baby boy in 1946, who decades later built the bridge that she could walk across toward her own son. So here's a question that might be on your mind, because it was on my mind as I prepared for today. 
Doug, but even Jesus calls God Father, Abba, Daddy. <laughs> so what do we do with that? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that as we just heard in that chapter, that Jesus had to come up with some sort of image that we could have some form of relationship with a God who we can't even begin to understand. And the image of father was chosen probably because at that time it was a patriarchal society. And I don't think it's that Jesus condoned that. It's just Jesus had to use an image that we could relate to. And so it was a society where the, the father made decisions, the father made the statement, and women were encouraged, unfortunately, to be silent. And so again, it's not that Jesus is lifting this up because we see in many cases he doesn't, but he wanted us to have some sort of window which, which we could see characteristics and qualities of God as a healthy, loving parent. So... If Jesus were here today, he might use more imagery as God's a motherly father. <laughs> as I get ready to close here, let me say that it was about a year and a half ago, I think it was, that Pastor Tony helped lead an ELCA youth gathering event that was held right over here. So youth from all over the synod gathered here, and Tony sang this song by a band named Gunger. We've sang some of his songs in here before. We haven't done this one, but I loved the song. And so I want to show you that I can sing it better than Tony. No, I won't do that to you. But the lyrics go like this. It's, it's uh, God is not a man. God is not a white man. God is not a man sitting on a cloud. And then the chorus, and I love the chorus. It gave me goosebumps every time they sang it. But God is love. God is love, and God loves everyone. See how much more powerful that language is? Mary Daly, I'll close with this statement. She says this quote, Why must God be a noun? Why must God be a noun? Why not a verb? The most active and dynamic verb that ever was. 